0: everybody, before we get into this next podcast with Tex and Waka, be sure to check out drinkhoist.com. Hoist has got IV level hydration, phenomenal flavors. I mean, it's so good that my kids, I can't keep it in stock because they drink all my stuff. Their favorite's orange. I'm kind of a fan of the, uh, the strawberry lemonade. That's my jam, but the orange is also good. Uh, lots of flavors, drinks, ready to drink. And then they also have packets that you can carry around with you so you can just stuff your rucksack with them. So promo code for that is One's Ready. Get you a discount. Drinkhoist.com. Check them out. And now on to the podcast.
1: What's up, everybody? Back at it again in the One's Ready team room. We got the subject matter expert. You guys are always asking us recruiting questions. And what do we tell you? I'm not a recruiter. Well, guess what? We got a recruiter in your face. Sorry waka. What's up? Thanks for coming on the podcast. We're going to talk all things recruiting, that program, all the questions that you guys have.
0: All right, cool. So I'm Sergeant uh, Waka. I am a special warfare recruiter. Just a little background about me. I came in 2010, uh, straight out of high school. Uh, I actually wanted to be a PJ at first, but I wouldn't have made it back then. I was 18 years old and, and plus my eyesight so bad. I look like bubbles from Chiller Park Boys. If you guys know who that is, do a little <laughs> Google search. Um, Heck
1: of a reference. Heck of yeah, a reference. No,
0: I, I look exactly like the guy. Um, so I, I went in as a vehicle operator and my first duty station, Aviano Air, Air Base, Italy, and then uh, deployed out of there, went to the, uh, after that, PCS, to the SEER schoolhouse to, you know, be SEER transportation, um, worked with the SEER guys for five years, uh, deployed with uh, uh, SOCOM and then, That's how I actually got picked up for the Special Warfare recruiting back in 2019. So that that brings me here to Green Bay, Wisconsin. Fantastic. So you're a cheesehead up there. Sorry about your luck this year with Aaron Rodgers. And uh,
1: I guess it is what it is. So you had some... Touch points in SOCOM and in Special Operations before, and you kind of just alluded to it that that's how you found yourself going into AF Spec War. What was that? What was that transition like for you? Like, when first of all, when did you decide to do the recruiting gig at all? Because you have to be a normal recruiter before you're supposed to be an AF Spec War recruiter. So, right. when did you decide that you wanted to do that special duty of being a recruiter?
0: Yeah, I mean, I got the email of death from AFPC right after my deployment that said, "Hey, congrats, you've been selected to be a recruiter." I actually wasn't expecting it at all, um, and you know, I I had to talk to a few people uh, before I'm like, "Let's let's do this." Um, you know, yeah, you're right. You have to go regular enlisted, a sessions recruiter first before you go straight into special warfare. But they were doing a little experiment when we first, you know, the inception of the 330th stood up to where back then they brought in four tier one is what they'd call us recruiters um, as kind of an experiment that had some kind of background or touch with the special warfare community. And um, they didn't even know I, one of the questions on the application was um, have you had a, a SOCOM deployment or something, something strange. And I said, yes. And then they found out I worked with the Sears schoolhouse and, you know, it was a done deal with chief Faga. He, he hired me and um, it, it worked out. That's kind of how, that's kind of how it all got started,
1: man. That's awesome, and then and then you just we welcomed you into open arms in the Aspect War in oh, the three hundred and thirtieth, and and now here you are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, this has been such an amazing community to work for. Uh, not going to lie, I mean, driving circles in a bus for hours on end is is uh, it gets old sometimes. So it's nice to change the pace. There's only so much you can hear. Seats taken as as uh, as the People are going through SV80, the Seer Schoolhouse. You know, it just gets—you uh, just need a change of pace, and this is a little bit different,
1: for sure. And that—that that brings up a great point. We talk about it all the time. Is you know the the aspect war career fields, right? Uh, and we're going to talk—you already hit it, but you know, we're going to talk Seer and EOD in this episode too. But you know, PJ, TacP, Combat Control, um, SR—you know, those four career fields are the ones that we focus on, but all AFSCs really benefit from being inside of that SOCOM bubble and inside of that ST bubble. You can get a lot of knowledge. You know, We, we shy away from saying things like just on this podcast because everybody supports the mission. You're not just Intel. You're not just a vehicle driver in our organization. We don't say that to demean anybody. What we say is those AFSCs support the mission. You actually support the warfighting function. So you may be just a vehicle guy, but you're driving people to go do the nation's hardest work. Like that's an important thing. And you, you get a lot of job satisfaction out of that. It's a way for maybe, maybe aspect war isn't right for you, but I'll tell you what, if you can get in the air force and you can vector yourself towards one of those ST functions, you'll find that your job satisfaction goes through the roof.
0: Yeah. I mean, they say profession of arms. We need our finance guys. We need our mechanics. We need those guys. Um, and I mean, iron sharpens iron. Another person sharpens another. And that's exactly what being into the community, you guys have opened yourselves with open arms to us with the 330th, the regular guys trying to to support the hardest mission in AFRS. Um, and it's been nothing but obviously ups and downs. But I mean, at least we're projecting up for the most part. Um, I've done things in my life that I never thought I, I was capable of, and that's just because of the community with with the way you guys think. So we definitely appreciate it.
1: Yeah, you and me both, brother. All right. So we're gonna transition into into some real talk, some of these real questions that we're gonna get after here. We have a ton of DMs that come in and they they ask us all the questions that we talked about beforehand and you know, last night when we were texting back and forth, and then this morning. So I'm just going to start peppering you with questions, my guy. You know why? Because I'm not very smart and people ask me these questions. And that's why I brought you on <laughs> because we are not that smart. So we're going to start off number one from right out the gate. We have a recruit. They're going to try to get a hold of you, right? So how long should it take for that kind of initial back and forth?
0: Well, if they're not using pigeon mail, they're wrong. Um, no, I'm just kidding. That's what it seems like sometimes when you try to get a hold of a recruiter. Uh But we're out there. I would say, I mean, we're supposed to answer within seventy-two hours. So, you know, if a recruiter's not answering immediately, you know, maybe maybe they're on leave, maybe they're busy. There's a lot of variables that come into place with that. But but you should be uh, being communicated back with seventy-two hours. I would say. Right, and we're uh, we're big fans of people doing their own work
1: and being grown-up problem solvers. So when a candidate does contact you how can you tell the difference between a candidate that's serious about doing this and somebody that's just sort of testing the
0: water? Yeah. I mean, I love talking to people who are testing the water, but you know, it's a lot to do with their confidence and their, and their, honestly, their job knowledge. Some, some of these guys, it seems like, you know, and, and gals know more than you do as a recruiter. I mean, it's, it's an ever changing of information. So I would just, yeah, I would just go with that.
1: Yeah. Right. So they're going to hit up com. That's the, the clearinghouse for everything that they need. You can find a recruiter on there. You can find your IFT packet on there. You can find a million different pieces of information. So they're going, to, they're going to do their due diligence and they're going to hit you up. And then you guys had that initial talk. You're going to get back to them within 72 hours. And then from there, they're going to start really making steps towards what it is that they have to do uh, to get in. So how does that actually work? For entry into the delayed entry
0: program, so um, we're doing something a little bit different. So just just expect. Unless your prior service, prior service will only work with special warfare recruiters. If you are, you know, a civilian that's never served in the military, this is this is new information. I think, um, unless there's a special situation, because we have these large zones of special warfare recruiters where we're possibly covering. Uh, up to two states, you know, for instance, I sure. cover fourths of Wisconsin and upper Michigan. So it's hard to meet a candidate that's three hours away when it's, it makes more logistical sense to have them meet with a local enlisted sessions recruiter. So no matter what, if you're a civilian, you will work with two recruiters unless, like I said, case by case basis. Um, and that starts with airforce.com, obviously it, it, you gotta almost dig to find us where it says special warfare, you know, find a recruiter and then it will mm-hmm. have like a little tab at the bottom, special warfare. My advice is get in contact with that special warfare recruiter immediately. Um, have them send you a Prius sessions, uh, liability form. So basically get a sports physical done, have it signed by, a, a, some kind of medical doctor and then get yourself to an, a development IFT session as soon as you can, uh, just because we don't know how far off you are and we want to get you um working out as soon as possible with the team get you embedded with everybody get to know everybody cuz other- otherwise naturally what happens is you guys drag your feet um you don't even know if you're going to be qualified for the air force but this is this is my advice um uh, because you will be working with an enlisted sessions recruiter who will do all that paperwork process and um if you're not working out and you're not obsessed with all physical you know your IFT your Physical requirements, then it, you know, if you're not, if you're way off the margin, you know, it is possible you could be, you're just not ready and you could be shipped out unless it's a session. So it's important immediately to get in contact with a special worker recruiter, even if you're not through MEPS.
1: Outstanding, right? So get a hold of that recruiter, get yourself to a development session because what's that? That's going to give you data points, right? You're going to be able to put eyes on somebody and say, hey, you were close, you're not close, here's where you need to work. And then we are big fans of training specifically and then making sure that every single second of your time is efficient and it gets you towards your goal. Unless you get to those development sessions, unless somebody can, a subject matter expert can put eyes on you and actually get you to what you need to be and and get you that information, you're going to have no idea. And, you know, there's a very real possibility that you could be wasting your time getting ready to go do this thing. So, man, fantastic. I do want to take a little tangent just because we, you know, we kind of already hit on it. So they're in the development program, and the question that we get all the time is, I want to wait until I'm ready, and I don't know when that that period is. So we've gone back and forth with some recruiters on um, a lot of different things, uh, You know, one of them being, hey, I want to wait until I'm absolutely smashing the IFT and grad standards. All right, technical difficulty fixed. I would just like to put this out there since I'm always the one that screws it up. It was not me this time. <laughs> so keep, keep my name out of your mouth in the comment section. I didn't do it. So Walker right back to it, man. So, you know, we were talking about people in the debt program and we sort of got off on a little bit of tangent. I want to do it chronologically throughout this episode of, you know, the the entire journey uh, as far as recruiting goes, but we get this question a lot and it's when am I ready to ship? There's, there's sort of, you know, we've, we've looked at this a whole bunch of times. We talked about it in our IFT, OFT, CFT episode. We talk about it in the day-to-day episode. So go check those out. We'll throw the, the episodes up in a, in a card so you can go check it. It's going to be up here. I hope it's that way on YouTube. I don't know if it is. Um, the bottom line here is that there's there's a couple schools of thought, and each recruiter is different and each candidate is different. Our advice to the candidates is when you can smash that IFT, when you can do, and we, we talked about what numbers we thought were appropriate, But when you can go into a situation cold, if somebody were to walk into your office and just be like, go take an IFT right now, if you can pass that with good numbers at any given time, we're like, you're ready. Some candidates, they almost wait. And we we joke that they're the king of the development program, right? Like they're the strongest candidate in the development program, and they're still not making the call to go because they feel like they're not ready. There are a lot of people out there that are like, listen, the IFT bare minimums, if you're making the bare minimums, that's a pass. That means that you're ready to go in, right? And th- those are kind of like the two extremes. What is is what? What is your opinion on that? And when do you think candidates are, quote, ready to ship?
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Aaron. Um, you know, it's, it's said if a candidate has strong pull-ups and a runtime, that they have higher chances of success. Um, a lot and a lot of candidate and, and you think like, OK, well, you know, maybe I need a faster swim time or whatever the case. I think some some candidates get too caught up in the weeds about IFT. You know, that's just the easiest part of the journey, of course. Um, and I would say specifically for me spending two to three months in the, de- in development, you know, no longer than that. Like, that's my goal to ship you out. We, we measure candidates. I don't know if this is well known off of a, uh, risk matrix essentially. So a low risk ca- candidate, a moderate risk candidate and a high risk candidate. And it's, and it's all like calculated off of run times and things like that. Um, how many IFTs slash development sessions they've been to. Cause, cause we have candidates, um, that are there doing the bare minimums. And they're like, just get me out of here. And it's like, okay, but are you going to really be successful? So, um, perfect example is like, for one, you have to be obsessed and, and I don't know if it comes down to genetics. Sometimes, you know, I don't think it takes longer than three months to be able to crush the IFT. If you, if you are following a good plan, you have a developer that's giving you literally A, B, and C. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to eat. T3i, you know, they give you nutrition advice, things like that. We have a scout team. Um, we have, uh, ones ready, which I, I refer, you know, ev- like every candidate to you guys. They already know who you are. If not, you know, they will. And there's a plethora of information to where it's like, uh, you know, why why wait sometimes it prolongs the process so so you're going to have this guy on the podcast here uh, you know today or 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 so but he, he if he watches this he's going to hate me for saying this cuz we use him for an example all the time <laughs> so we had a we had nice. a dude get selected for SR and ANS he just graduated combat dive school when he first took his IFT he did four or five pull-ups struggled with the upper body strength and i don't even think he passed the run and super super low numbers for the most part. He ended up shipping doing bare minimum eight pull ups. So he maybe he's an anomaly or an outlier as far as making it. But that gives Canada that should give you guys confidence that don't get so stuck in the weeds of man. I gotta I gotta get a nine thirty mile and a half to ship. Like we trust in our cadre to mold you guys into what we want you to be when you get down after basic training, you get to SWIC like they're going to mold you. And I think the biggest obstacle that gets you guys that you don't even think about is homesickness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that
0: man, what, what, a, what a great point to bring up.
1: Um, it, we we've said it a million times, it, it bears repeating and we'll say it again, you know, um, but the course is meant to build you up. Basic training is meant to build you up from from a ground level airman. And then we're going to send you to SWIC. And SWIC, I was just talking to the NCOIC, the SEL of SWIC last night. We're going to get him on the podcast and get, you know, just like we did with, uh, you know, Senior Lepaca Mounts. He came on the podcast before. They're doing some new things at SWIC. We've got an update coming, but he had a higher, he is having a higher success rate out of SWIC, lowest SIEs and best PT standards. Because SWIC is starting to really find its rhythm for how we produce candidates, and we're starting to see that in a So all of the structures are there to help you succeed. So when we talk about when am I ready to ship, remember, you are not expected to go perform. There's a reason why the PT test isn't on day one. There's a reason why you don't graduate on day one. You don't just go down to Joint Base San Antonio and immediately go into the final exercise of A&S. It's months long of further development. So you have to keep that into your calculus when you're thinking about where, you know, when can I go and when am I ready to ship? I really want to hit this homesickness part because, man, you, you crush it. That's something that we haven't really talked about. When you're down at Joint Base San Antonio, you're going to be away from friends, family, loved ones, your support system, and you're going to have to find that support system. How do you prepare your candidates when they're getting ready to ship off? Do you start talking about that early or, or, or is there anything that you you tell your candidates before they ship to prepare them for that?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't harp on it too much until they're about, you know, they're booked a job and it's getting more real for them because, they you know, they're not going to think about it until it's like, OK, I'm booked a job. This is really happening. Holy crap. Um, even if you don't think you're going to experience homesickness, it hits everybody, man, like like. You know, being on deployments, it's like, man, I'm so hyped up to, to yep. get on this deployment, and then you know, three months into it's like I'm ready to. I, I miss my family, I miss my wife, my kids, whatever the case. Sure. I miss my girlfriend, I miss my dog. Um, yeah. it, the best way to deal with it is just to know that's a temporary feeling, and, and I try to to talk about that, and and it goes away. I mean, a lot of us have experience with. I mean, we've all been to basic training and we've all been to, you know, a lot of us have been deployed to understand that that feeling is temporary. And and I think that's the most vulnerable part of a candidate when you're comparing yourself to these other people who look like they have it together. And it's like you look to the left and right of you like, oh, my God, they they're crushing it right now. I don't even see them breaking, but but you don't even know what's going through Mm -hmm. their mind.
1: Yep, 100 percent. And guess what, guys and gals? those people miss their families too. And they're barely holding on and they're probably looking at you. Like, how does this guy have it together? How did like, I'm, I'm struggling and this guy seems to be fine. Meanwhile, you're thinking the same thing. So if you kind of open up and lean into the team, like that's the way to get over that. Like it's not a replacement for that support system that you have at home. It's a whole new support system that you're going to be able to develop. So you just don't think of it like you're gone and you're homesick and, oh, woe is me, I'm all alone. No, you just doubled your support system because now everybody to your left and your right is now your support system and you're going through those hard times. Marcus Luttrell said famously in a speech where he was talking about the lone survivor incident that bonds forged in adversity are stronger than any other bond. And you get that at SWIC and you get that through your pipeline experience. You'll never have better friends than you make in the pipeline. I wanna hit on something you just said. You talked about, you know, when you book your job. Can you explain the process from basically off the street? Let's say somebody, you know, we'll we'll kind of explore a couple different topics here. We're going to talk about, you've got somebody that comes in. It's a a young man, a young Aaron Love at 21 years old, straight off the street, never served before. And he knows he wants to be a PJ. In today's environment, what does that look like? Because we get questions about, you know, when I came in, it used to be guaranteed contract, right? I'd go into a recruiter. I would talk to him. He'd be like, "Here's your contract for PJ. Go for it." Can you tell us what that process looks like now in SwoV?
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's complicated. You know, a lot's changed since I think Sergeant Spring went on with you guys a long time ago. Um. Oh yeah. So yeah. it's a a lot of people, candidates that want to do special warfare. A lot of them do have a history of surgeries. You know, because they're they're sports. They have a background of sports, and a lot of times, you know, whether that's uh. Uh, knee surgery or, or whatever the case. Um, I mean, that's not like a full on, Hey, you're, you're not getting in now. It's just more of a, like, like let's pump the brakes a little bit, which is important while we get you guys in here sooner. So, you know, we're doing a whole new medical screening thing. It's called Genesis, but it's, it's basically where we're looking into your record. And it's so new right now to the DOD that it's just taking a lot longer to get you guys through, especially if you have a medical record, um, in time it will be faster. Mm-hmm. So don't worry. Uh, you know, hopefully in a, hopefully in a perfect world, obviously that the timeline goes a little faster. So I guess it depends if you're a little broken, have a history of, of that medical stuff, uh, how long it's going to take. Um, I would say, I mean, it shouldn't take, again, sometimes it takes two to three months to get you in, depending on, depending on the surgery or a uh, med- medical sure. situation. But let's say you're not, let's say you're not broken at all. Yeah, we can probably get you mm-hmm. in within a month, get you through, uh, MEPS and then get you in development and ship you out. You know, we ship about five times a year. Don't quote me on that for special warfare. Okay. Um, and if yep. you're crushing the IFT, the developer stamps your green light approval saying, yeah, I, I approve. You're good to go. Um, you meet all the qualifications. We'll ship you out for the next, uh, ship date.
1: Awesome. And when they're in that bucket, right? So the way that the special warfare operator enlistment vector works is you're going to sign up for that SWOV process and you're going to go into a bucket essentially where it's like, hey, um, you can you can tell your recruiter 100 percent. I want to be a PJ. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. The contract actually is going to be SWOV and you're going to declare what you actually want to do when you're down at SWIC. So about halfway through SWIC, the special warfare candidate course is when you're actually going to say, okay, this is it that actually opens the door as well for if you know you want to do one of these career fields, but you just don't know which one you can. You don't have to make your mind up before you go to basic training. How many people have you seen that have come in that have changed which career field they want to do in the development?
0: Man, so many people change their mind because because you guys are, you know, the civilians like you have an idea of of what you want to do in the history or back in the past. Sorry, everybody and their mother wanted to go be a PJ. Because the pass test back then was the hardest. um, It was the hardest you could you could do versus combat control and back then scout T, tac P. So you know, obviously, it's like, oh, I wanted to do the hardest thing in people's minds. They thought that, and then it was too late. You couldn't switch your contract. And now, honestly, this makes it a lot Mm -hmm. better because we're educating you guys now. Um, When you ship out, we're going to be having cadre educate you in BMT uh, through SWIC. And then as far as I, I know, I believe it's the 6 week you rack and stack. You put, you know, if you want to vector into TACP, you go TACP. Um, if you want to go PJ, CCT or SR, then yeah, you rack like number one, two and three. It's like trying out for the Green Bay Packers. There's the way I, the way I explain it, there's, there's 20 slots available and there's 30 guys trying out for the Green Bay Packers. If you don't make the team, there's still, you know, it's the Chicago Bears are needing you to be on their team so like it's you're still in the NFL you're still playing in the big leagues like i I haven't met any candidate that I've shipped out that made it through anS that didn't get what they wanted and and I know it's a very small percentage that end up like they wanted to be a PJ and I got selected for controller yeah I've maybe heard that uh from a rapper that he knew a guy who knew a guy that happened to him but I, I don't know the statistics on that
1: it just doesn't happen. It's statistically, like, I, I won't say it doesn't right. happen, but statistically, it's not even worth, right. like, the amount of questions that we get on it just dumbfounds yeah. me. Man, go perform. Like, we, the the store, I, I've never had firsthand experience, and I'm pretty connected to the Swick pipeline and to ANS. I am not aware of a no kidding, this guy was awesome, we just didn't have a spot for him. I haven't heard that story yet. And, and we talk to him pretty frequently. So, if you want to be a PJ, you can declare from day one, I want to be a PJ. Don't get your head wrapped around, oh, they gave me this general contract. That's They're not guaranteeing it. No, that's, that's exactly the opposite. We're giving you the space to go prove it. Right. So go prove it. You want to be a PJ? Call your shot. Go prove it. Perform. And I promise you, you are going to get that shot. I say it all the time. Refuse to be denied. Don't be denied. Go be great. And you can do whatever job it is that you want. Let's talk a little bit about the development program. I love the DEP program um, and the Dev program. I think it's awesome. T3I does a great job. We're actually in. We're getting a T3I developer on. I've attended development session before. I have nothing but good things to say about that. What's your experience with the development program?
0: Well, uh, absolutely inspiring to, to get to work with you know one of you guys hands on uh i i obviously i'm biased but i think i have the best developer in the nation oh <laughs> i don't know if i can say his name shout out yeah. get it Juan, Juan moran <laughs> no, go ahead. that dude's that, that get it that What's dude's up? a beast man he he snapped his ankle in half uh running on a trail freaking slipped on some ice and his ankle like his bone was just sticking right out and then literally he's walking around in a boot still developing like rolling around in his in his chair and um uh, like eight months later the dude's running again and he he just ran like a Fantastic! Ran like a fifteen-minute five k. Like what the hell? That's <laughs> he faster than I am. He's got
1: a he's got a serious injury. Guys, yeah, yeah, and he's
0: he's not a spring chicken either. But um, it's such an amazing program to have the development. So I've had guys from like the Warrior program come to. The Air Force development, the warrior programs like the Navy, you know, going in uh, as a SEAL or, or whatever. Um, as far as I know, I don't, I'm pretty confident to say the Army doesn't have a development program. They just work out with their recruiters, uh, like the 18x ray. Mm-hmm. So we really have something special to where we will train you. We will get you ready. We will get you immersed. The developer will, um, uncomfortable to, to be comfortable, you know, just, just learn to be uncomfortable essentially. And, Uh, prepare you as much as possible. So we've had guys from the warrior program say like, wow, you know, we don't do nearly as much as you do. We're a lot more stricter on the form, things like that. I'm not going to speak for Mm -hmm. every warrior program out there, but um, yeah, I've had nothing but good things from feedback with us.
1: Yeah. And the thing that I was most impressed with, you know, uh, Peaches and I actually got to go to a development session um, and I was most impressed with Not only the, anybody can make you do push-ups, man. There's a million companies out there that you can go and you can play with logs and they'll put you in the ocean and then they'll yell at you and whatever. Okay. Anybody can do that. You can do that on your own. What I was impressed with is that, as as I'm sure Mr. Moran does, is the the mentorship aspect and the teaching you how to be a better operator and preparing you for those things that we're looking for. We talk about the attributes at ANS all the time. The developers and T3I focus specifically on developing those attributes to make you a better candidate. And I think that's what sets us apart from a lot of different uh, you know, other programs is that, number one, we're scouting for the right person. We're putting that right person into the right job with subject matter expertise. We're guiding you through the process, cradle to grave. And most importantly, we're having subject matter experts, guys and gals that have no kidding been there and done that, teaching you how to be a better candidate. I think that is really important to highlight. That program is
0: fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he just harps on. You know, I mind, body, spirit. You know, you can't just do in the physical stuff. You got to be working on your spirit. You got to be working on uh, your mind too. Reading books. Uh, we in Wisconsin. I mean, Zachary Reiner shipped out of Wisconsin. So, so not everybody operator comes out of Texas and in Florida, but you know, just. just like being able to yeah texas florida ohio baby that's (laughs) it let's go (laughs) yeah just having that experience and and just being able to relate from having a developer from that certain area that you you know you're growing up in also is huge
1: yeah absolutely let's talk about some hard go no goes we always stay away from the medical stuff because i am not a medical provider people ask us really first of all to everybody that dms us we love y'all and it's it's nice that you trust us. When you when you send me a huge paragraph full of like your entire medical history and then ask me a question, there's a thing called HIPAA. You're violating your own HIPAA dog. Like I do not need to know about all of your medical things and we never weigh in on them because they're always it's so, it, it fluctuates so hard. We talked to, you kind of alluded to it earlier. We talked about eyesight. Can you, can you talk about some things? Like what are your top 3 or 4 things that are just like Hey, sorry, if you have this, if it's in your medical record, this is a pretty hard no go
0: yeah, uh, like you said, it's hard to say being a doctor, but for sure, um mm-hmm. unfortunately, I know people who experience some sort of trauma earlier in life and you know go into a doctor that diagnosed you with like major depression or mm-hmm. you know suicidal tendencies or thoughts, anything like with a hit if it's marked a history of emotional instability like sometimes i know those people make the best like person of perseverance and overcoming obstacles but the the problem is it's it's as of now it's a hard no-go unless um you know like your parents go through a divorce and you're a kid and and you went to a psychologist or a counselor and, and they're like yeah you're you're depressed um when you're like you know younger or whatever and and right this doctor up at whatever state you're in approves it. the CMO is what we call it. And they're like, yeah, that's not really a major depression or if you're, you know, and it doesn't go to the surgeon general up in Texas, you, you should be good to go. But that's, it's a complicated thing to get into with, with that stuff. It's usually a hard no go. As of now, I don't really foresee mm-hmm. that changing. I um, eyesight's it's not really too much of an issue. Only if you're like, your correctable is is like twenty. Your correctable is anything not twenty twenty. That's a that's a hard no go.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: And hearing. So, and basically, what that means, yeah, what
1: that means, everybody is. So your vision can be terrible. However, if there is some way to correct your vision, like with contacts or glasses or whatever, if it's correctable to twenty twenty, then you're fine. So your vision can be 2100, 20 whatever, as long as you can have a way to have it corrected, and that's in your medical records, then you're good. The problem is, is if your vision isn't correctable to that, right? So now we're talking about before you get in, you may have to go get LASIK or PRK if that's something that you want to do beforehand. And then that's going to delay your process a little bit more. So that's what he's talking about
0: there. Yeah. Just to give you the right. So, yeah, sorry, Aaron, uh, I'll just give him the exact numbers no, real quick. Cause that is a, that is a question that I know circulates through Reddit and forums. People try to find the right answer. And, and it's almost like we tell you you're good to ship and, and candidates still don't believe us sometimes like, no, I think I, I need, I feel death perception at Meps. Um, I'm, I can't be qualified. It's like, no, no, you're good to go, man. But, but, um, we change the standards all the time and things like that. If you can, I mean, just think about it. If you're really that worried about it, you can see an eye doctor, and, and they'll more than likely tell you 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 have depth perception. If you, like if you played sports and you can catch a baseball, like you more than likely have depth perception. A lot of times they're rushed through Meps, and you know they use an older system and whatnot. But uh, twenty one thousand is the new standard for uncorrected. You can ship out for a special warfare contract and twenty twenty Craigball twenty one thousand.
1: That is, that is blind at 21,000. <laughs> That's me. Um, the debt perception thing is, yeah, <laughs> nice. The debt perception thing too. Uh, here, here's a fun fact about, uh, the man, Aaron Love. I've never passed the depth perception test one time in the Air Force. I had to go to a doctor and I had to go when I was cross training back in. So first of all, I went to in doc just fine. And then I got out and I was going back through and I was a flyer. So I was on flight status. And when I was getting ready to cross train back in, they were like, hey, you, you failed the depth perception test. I'm like, yeah, no, I failed this one specific test because I can't tell you what circle is standing out of the five circles. Okay. I have no clue. I can't tell you that. I was a catcher my entire life. I was a goalie in soccer when I played like club soccer. I can tell that I have pretty good depth perception. So I had to go through this long process, but I've still to this day. I cannot pass that five circle depth perception test, but I I can tell you for sure I have depth perception. So, um, that that brings up a good question though. Uh, oftentimes in the military we say that everything is waverable. <laughs> the waiver process is sometimes frustrating. Yeah. Is is everything waverable?
0: Uh sure, I guess, but not not for <laughs> not, not for special warfare, you know what I mean? Like like yeah, if you have major depression Perfect. And you can't, right. and, and you can't go special warfare, but you can go regular Air Force, um, and then maybe right. try to reacross train in four years if they open the door for you to cross train and do that. That's everything's waiverable, I guess. You know, like an example would be, I guess, if you were a, a party bender, you know, did some did some coke or something and, and got arrested for it. <laughs> it's going to be a long shot, man, but <laughs> right. But sure. uh, right, if you make those bad decisions, it's going to be a long. I mean, shot. it's up to the commander to approve that waiver. Depending on your character, you better have a good resume. You know what I mean? To, to like make him comfortable that yeah, I'm going to let you come into the Air Force, and you better not make me look bad. Essentially, you know.
1: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, I want to. I want to talk about something here too. There's there's a difference when you go to maps and in your process. There's a difference of what's in your record. And what you tell the doctors, we always tell people never lie, but we've gotten a couple DMs where people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I started having this conversation with a doctor and I sort of told him like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe I did have asthma as a kid and I ended up getting disqualified for it. That's a you problem. So how do you coach people through going, you know, because MEPS is rushed. They are trying to process people. They have a job to do how do you coach people before they go to MEPS in order for them to communicate their actual issues appropriately?
0: Well, it's almost like now with Genesis, this is our new medical system. You can't really hide too much stuff because, because it's going to, that it's, it should populate to where we can see it. So that's the thing where what we do is we will typically ask you the hundred, whatever plus medical questions. We'll submit uh, Genesis packet. And then it'll come back with like, the doctor will be like, yeah, you're good to process, which means nothing came up or, um, they, they caught that you had childhood asthma back when you were six years old or something like that. And they're like, yeah, we have the documents for that. We don't need anything or, Hey, we need X, Y, and Z. And then you just got to collect those documents and we submit them. So, um, have a hard discussion with your recruiter if you're concerned about anything. But if you like got diagnosed from YouTube watching so many videos that's that you think you have anxiety, or that's actually normal. Like right. when you get nervous with public speaking. Oh my god, <laughs> right. I, have, I have major anxiety, or pu- I can't go out in public. <laughs> um, you're self-diagnosing yourself, man. There's no need to to say that to a recruiter. You know, it's not on a on a doctor's record. That's the issue we have is when you guys self-diagnose yourself, or if your mom's like. Telling you, you have ADD your whole life and it was never written, diagnosed by a doctor. It's like, well, you don't have, you're medically cleared. You don't have ADD. That's just something you've been told. So, Awesome. Awesome
1: input, man. Thanks. I appreciate that.
0: So as we're kind of walking
1: down this thing, so they found a recruiter. They didn't, uh, they didn't ping you too much and they didn't have expectations for how fast you're supposed to get back to them. They knew what job they wanted to do and they, they engaged in the process. They hit their development sessions like they're supposed to, not doing the bare minimum and really doing the work that T3i works them through. We got to MEPS. We got cleared there. Your candidate is now ready to go to basic. How do you prepare them for that initial move to basic training? We ship, you know, I think five times a year is right. I think there's five ship dates. I'll, I'll say that out loud. You don't have to. Hit me up. I'm sure I'll hear about it in the comments if I'm wrong anyway. Right. Um, what What does that preparation look like when you're getting ready? No kidding. We're more a month
0: out. We're a couple weeks out. Yeah. So a lot of these guys and gals get um, honor grad and things like that. So now it's like, all right, let's take the focus. Let's take a step back from special warfare for a second. Um, we're we'll obviously still like working out and whatnot, but let's focus on basic sure. training because that's that's literally what's coming up. So we got to. Your
1: five meter target. Exactly. Right.
0: Um so we're talking about the, the basics, like Aim High is an app you guys can download. Uh U.S. Air Force Aim High, it's an app that we came out with to get you guys prepared to know enlisted rank structures, officer ranks, uh, the airman's creed, your reporting statement, which seems to change like weekly now. But uh, right. um, getting familiar with that and just preparing yourself so you're not stressing out on the plane like, oh, I don't even know what my reporting statement is. You know, just taking a step back and and calming down for a second so you can breathe. Because the last thing you guys want is to be in basic training and now you're in a new environment where somebody's screaming at you in your face and you're too stressed out to think straight. Um, So we want to prepare you and and start looking at the basic training stuff from like the AIM High app.
1: Yeah, that's perfect.
0: I'm so glad that you came
1: out with an app and we get. Not frustrated, but we answer the same question where people are like, you know, they're so hyper focused on A&S and they're so hyper focused on the pipeline. And this is something we always tell people like, hey, you got to go to basic training. You got to learn how to be in the Air Force first. If you're like, oh, BMT is going to be a is a cinch. BMT is just going to be a, a, you know, a, a, a way for me to get out of shape, which also isn't true. Yeah. We always tell people like, hey, you, you need to refocus here a little bit. Like, you're expected to do really well at basic training. Um, you know, it, it's a, a joke from, you know, sports, but if you're thinking about the championship, you, you still got to play in the semifinals first. You got to win that semifinal game before you go to the championship. And, and basic training is really that first opportunity for you to really put out and really show that you're a, a good candidate. And people that skip over that basic training, at, you know, that basic training time because they're like, oh, I don't care. I just want to get to Swift. You can you can derail your pipeline at basic training. You can derail your pipeline at step one if you don't download that Air Force app. Um, and say the app again. We'll we'll make sure to get it out in the in the comments. And
0: stuff. Yeah, it's the it's the Air Force Aim High app, or you can also download. I think it's called the DEP app, the Delayed Entry Program app. But the Aim High app's the most up to date one. Um, and can awesome. I can I piggyback on something that you said about basic training? And and that's another rumor I think that goes around that you're going to lose. Fitness and basic training. Um, so you know, I'm a perfect example of that. I'm, I'm a regular guy. I'm not a special warfare airman by any means, but I shipped out, and my first PT test in basic training was like a 12:36, and I graduated running like a 9:35 or four or something. So you know, if you're worried about like, oh, I'm going to lose everything I got, uh, basic training soft. I mean, don't like you don't need to worry about that. And that's what SWICS in place for anyway to get you guys back what you did lose.
1: Amen. Amen. So this one's, you know, specifically for you, my friend, because I, I think that this is a, I I think this is a good thing. And I want to hear what your, what your optic is when, when those young airmen, when those men and women that you've spent, you know, sometimes up to a year coaching, guiding, mentoring, walking them through that process when they raise that right hand and they sign that, that those papers, how, how does that make you feel?
0: Um, no, I love it. It's, this is the best job I've ever had. I'll say it again. Um, but the most proud moments I have is when the candidates reach out and, you know, they thank you for all the help and guidance. And, and like, like so many people I talk to, a lot of recruiters are like, it's not our jobs to convince these, these guys and gals to do special warfare. Um, you're right, but there's a, there's a mistake with that mindset is they don't know they're not educated fully on what it is. And I've, I've talked to countless Mm -hmm. candidates that that were successful that are combat controllers right now. Um, as a perfect example that didn't know anything about combat control and I talked to them about it and I changed what their plan originally was. And, and, you know, they thanked me for telling them about it. Um, it's my job to educate and at least, you know get get you guys in there and, and then when you come back home for rap it's recruiters assistance program you guys work for me for 12 days um, that's absolutely a proud moment that keeps me keeps me going in this job
1: man that's is, that is so awesome to hear and and I actually had rap written down in the notes that I made for this because I wanted to talk yeah. about it a lot of people don't understand but rap is essentially free leave that you get to take after your pipeline. You get to go home and you work for the recruiter really what you're doing is you just get to talk about your afsc and it's open to everybody not just half spec war so you get to go back to your home station you get to see your family you get to show up in a uniform looking just real good no big deal but if you got that beret on whether it's uh you know it doesn't matter what color beret but you blouse them boots up what you're going to get a beer or two bought for you but it's a great program you get to work for 12 days for your recruiter And you get to do it as an airman and you get to come back essentially and take a victory lap and say, Hey, this AFSC, no matter what it is, is awesome. Here's my experience. And then you get to talk to people that were in your shoes or, you know, you were in their shoes, you know, maybe a year or two years ago, and you get to tell them exactly what's going on. And and you get to be, that's your first chance to be a mentor in the military. And that's one of the coolest things that you'll ever do in your military service is when you get to talk about the goodness of your AFSC. And I hope you all hear it from waka and from myself you hear me say it a whole lot more but you know being a pj is is one of the, the best things that's ever happened to me in my life and even you can be anything that you want a special mission aviator a vehicles guy an intel person whatever that if you connect with it and you love your AFSE, engage go tell people spread the good word about that or you know just like waka started off this this whole thing He had a chance to touch that Aspect War Enterprise in the SEER community, and he liked it so much, he wanted to spread the good word about some of these other AFSCs that people don't know a whole lot about. So use that RAP program. There's tons of programs like that out there, and your recruiter is the first one that can kind of help you figure out what that is. I do want to touch on SEER and EOD quickly because these are always moving goalposts, and it seems like for all the information that's out there, People ask us about SEER. We're like, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on um, with SEER and EOD. So can you kind of break down? So there's the four AFSCs in aspect War, so Combat Control, Attack, Peace, Special Reconnaissance, and Pararescue, and then the Officer components as well. But when we're talking SEER and EOD, how does that process work?
0: So, I mean, this is what's awesome about working with special warfare uh recruiters is, is you pretty much, if you qualify for it, you can pick and choose what you want to do. Uh, you can't do that with any other recruiter. It, it, you know, you can make a dream sheet. Like my number one might be special missions aviation. My number two is firefighter. There's no guarantee you're going to get that. You know, there's only so many allocated slots. If you're working with us and you do your work, you pass the IFT, like you're going to, you're going to get one of the, the six career fields, sorry, sorry we'll say three special warfare, uh, operator enlistment contract. But, um, yeah, that's, that's what the benefit is with working with us. But, uh, just to harp and talk a little bit about EOD and SEER. So there has been some changes just so you guys know, uh, it, it always fluctuates every year. So we don't know what next year looks like, but as of right now for fiscal year, 2023, which starts October 1st, uh, already started, um, the, the, uh, sign-on bonuses are $20,000 for steering EOD. So that is that was... Yo, like American dollars? $20,000? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's obviously... do what- <laughs> Get it. I'm mad at it at yeah. all. <laughs> Let's go, go get you uh, a, a wife on Craigslist. <laughs> go get your Mustang and, and your tattoo, right? Your Air <laughs> Force tattoo. <laughs> get that t- get that 28% charger. Let's o- after go. After you ship, obviously. But, um, after. Yeah. Obviously. Exactly. So um, another couple things that changed is you have to so before last year you know literally not too long ago so last year i mean fy 22 you had to meet minimum standards to be accepted in development um uh, you know doing like one pull-up and a 12 minute mile and a half run now you have to pass completely so you got to do three pull-ups a 11 minute mile and a half run to get accepted for eod and to ship for for sear it's um, SEER so 11, pull. it's a 11 minute run, eight pull-ups, 48 sit-ups, 40 pull-ups. So you have to pass for SEER 2 um, to be able to get accepted into the development program. So that means if you're working with an enlisted sessions recruiter until you're fully working with a accepted into this program and getting ready to ship out, get a contract, you need to pass your IFT completely outside of special warfare. Um, you still don't have to uh, pass the swim initially. Yeah. And, okay. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and then some other things that have changed. So for EOD, you used to have to. It's called the TAPIS. It's a personality test that we take at Meps. It's like a, you know, would you rather? I, I'm going to give you an extreme example. If there's a fire in your house, would you rather save your dog or your cat? I I don't know. Uh, that
1: sure, some crazy
0: right. some crazy things that people a lot smarter than me made. Um, you had to score above a, a 30 equal to a 30 or above on the personality test for EOD. That is no longer a thing. Now it's called the, I think it's the predictive, predictive success model, uh, PSM, which, uh, entails the tapas and your ASVAB scores. And you have to score above a 54 on that. And I can't tell you how to pass, but this eliminates the whole, like the career field managers basically came up with a system to where if you score above a 54, that determines higher success in our career fields rather than let's take this personality test, this TAPIS, and let's say you didn't make that minimum 30. Well, well, no problem. We'll just have you retake the test until you pass it. And that was kind of defeating mm-hmm. the purpose of the personality test. So they kind of revamped that. Um, and then SEER, uh, same thing. I mean, you need to take a TAPIS personality test above a 55 it's not the PSM.
1: Nice. Okay, good. So uh, minimum ASVAB scores for those are still 50. Is, is SEER and EOD different than the minimum ASVAB of 50?
0: SEER is a G general 55. Uh, okay. EOD, what is EOD? It's a, a mechanical 47 and general 50. And that's not like, that's a 50th percentile. Just so you guys, it's not like scoring a, 50 or whatever, just to understand that.
1: Right. Got it. And there's tons. We've talked about it before. We put reels out on and It's on our page right now. There's tons of ways to study for the ASVAB. Mm-hmm. So you can take a practice ASVAB. And if you're not up to the to the level, your recruiter will help you get there like everything else. So there you go. All right, man. I'm going to ask you the question we always ask everybody. You have seen hundreds, maybe thousands of candidates that get in. You've seen what makes people successful. You've seen the pitfalls that people experience You you know how to guide them there, like you know how to grant them access to this awesome thing that we have, which is the Air Force, and even even more awesome being an aspect war. What advice do you give to your candidates to be successful in the pipeline?
0: Well, for one, uh, your teammates. From what I've what I've seen, you gotta have you can't do this by yourself. Like if we're doing a development session, and we're doing. Um I don't know what I can call them. my developer calls them Indian runs. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that but right. but uh yeah you get a la- last candidate up runs. How yeah there you that? go. So we're in a line and you know you're trying to the the back person sprints up to the top and we're doing that for like 3 miles. So you know if you're the guy in the front that's freaking taking off and just trying to be there for yourself just trying to you know it's good to push people but you got to be there for your teammates too you know you can't uh, piss off people. But what, the one thing that I, I have told my candidates is everybody I've shipped out that has not made it, every single one of them, unless, unless you had a, is a disgruntled candidate who wants to not look in the mirror and own up to like, yeah, it was on me or, you know, obviously the small percentage chance that it, it was a, a fluke that happened with maybe a medical, uh, uh, flight physical or something up at basic. But, um, is they regret when they quit? And it's and it's just a it's just a moment of weakness. And they're like, man, I quit. I can't do this. And the, usually within an hour or the next day, they all regret it. And they tell me how much they regret it. And and me being a normal Air Force AFSC guy, like I can't tell you enough, like what an opportunity you guys have to do this, like like even if you don't make it like what an opportunity I've I've heard candidates say the life experience that you guys gain off of doing you know, uh, six months of special warfare, just making it through Swick or whatever. And you still don't make it or you, you tap out. Like you still have years of life experience. You gain just by doing that little bit, um, amount of time, just like Aaron said, like going through hard times makes you closer to the the guys and gals next to you.
1: Man. Fantastic. You crush it as always. Regret is hell. A momentary pause in your, in your mental, you know, your mental fortitude, uh, a momentary lapse in in that, that thing can, can really ruin the rest of your life. So it seems like a great place to end. Hey, Sergeant Walker, is there a, is there an Instagram account or how could people get a hold of you if they want to talk to you? Do you have a, a a normal page that you send them to?
0: Yeah. I mean, my Instagram, I'm actually on my way out. I've been doing this almost four years now. So I'm moving, but the, my, my successor, Sergeant Marquart. He, you know, I'm still here for a little bit. If you guys want to reach out, I'll be able to communicate that way. It's uh, Air Force Special Warfare Wisconsin on Instagram. And um, yeah, airforce.com dot com. You can find my my cell phone that way.
1: Yep, and if you guys have any questions, as always, hit us up in the comments. Hit us up on onesready.com. We have a reading list. We have everything that you could possibly need from training, uh, you know, programs with our partners to gear that you need. Anything that you need, we are the clearinghouse, and we can get you in touch with whoever. Sergeant Walker, thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us the knowledge that we need to help us get out there and really get after this thing that we're, we're trying to get after, which is Air Force Special Warfare. I appreciate everything that you do. And man, thanks again for coming. Yeah, on. thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Train hard. We'll see you next time.